The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Today, a special episode, a forecasting episode for the year 2017. And not only that, but our second annual predictions episode. Yes, this podcast now has been around long enough to have uh, something come back again that we did uh, in, in year one, one of our earliest Woo! episodes, where we spoke to Bloomberg Gadfly columnist Brooke Sutherland, who gave us her five bold predictions for 2016. We are going to relook at those predictions from 2016, and then Brooke will give us her five bold predictions for 2017. Yes, deals that will happen in 2017. So Brooke Sutherland joins us now. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this episode. Um, so let's start with your predictions for this year, and let's see how you did, <laughs> and then we can put you on the spot for next year. So you gave us five. Uh, they were in all industries. Let's start with the first one where you predicted that Mylan and Perigo might merge with each other or with someone else. How would you – that didn't happen. They didn't merge with each other. But you do get some credit on this one. Yeah, I think what I said is that they w would not do a deal with each other, but they would find other targets. And so Oh, that Mylon, they wouldn't do a deal with each no, other. Yeah. Okay, so I remember that Cover incorrectly. Myself. Um, but Mylon did do a deal. They bought a Swedish drug maker, Meta, um, which strategically made sense. It moved Mylon away from the generic drugs that have been facing a lot of price pressure recently and moved it more into sort of specialty pharmaceutical products and an allergy mist spray. Mylon, of course, has had some of its own troubles this year with all the scrutiny surrounding the EpiPen uh, and the price hikes that it took there. And Perigo has a, had its own challenges that have sort of prevented it from doing a deal. I think, you know, they very much wanted to do M&A after Mylon tried to buy Perigo and Perigo fought very hard and wanted to stay independent. But their CEO left to try to go fix the company that is Valiant. Um, and then Perigo subsequently had to cut their earnings guidance and sort of ran into some issues that got in the way of it doing M&A. So that one is half half true. I'm yeah, I'll give you partial, half, half partial credit, credit, credit that. there. Okay. That's right. Um, okay, the second deal, you, you sort of gave us two. Either Nestle, General Mills, or Pepsi, and my favorite name of the company, Mondelez, which I guess I don't really have to say anymore. Uh, so you get sort of half credit for that one, too. Explain. So my thinking here was that, you know, the food industry has really been shaken up by 3G Capital, which is the Brazilian private equity firm that was behind the buyouts of 
Heinz, and then Kraft Foods. So, you know, the 3G is really known for its zero-based budgeting approach, where it makes companies start from scratch and justify every single expense that they have. And it's also known for doing really big deals and eking out the synergies from those. And that sort of put the food industry on wash to say, how can we replicate this? How can we, you know, try to mimic this very successful blueprint? So, Neither of those companies merged, but we did have, you know, a lot of companies have taken to this zero-based budgeting model, and Mondelez did actually try they to tried. do a deal. Yep. They tried to acquire Hershey, and its overtures were rejected, and there was a lot of drama because Hershey is controlled by a trust, which complicates the process of getting a deal done. The trust is in the process of a major overhaul because it got scrutinized by the Pennsylvania Attorney General for sort of mismanagement uh, so, you know, we'll have to see on that one. We can come back to that when we talk about 2017 predictions. But I still think maybe maybe I was too early on that, but I still think we might see some big food deals. Do you coming. now think Hershey is the more likely acquirer or merger partner than Pepsi for Mondelez? I guess I did have to say the name again. I, you know, I think it's a possibility. I think that there are some questions about Hershey and that it's not really the fastest growing company. You think about where the growth areas are in food right now. It's not candy. You know, we're trying to move toward healthier, better for you products. Um, so I think that is something that, you know, Mondelez sort of needs to think about when it's looking at deals. Is this really where you want to place your bets? Okay, number three uh, is Comcast T-Mobile. Uh, this did not happen. Um, I have my own rationale for why it didn't happen, but let's hear yours first, bro. <laughs> this is one that I think might still happen. So another one where we were perhaps a little bit early. But, you know, we talked about last year how European telecommunications companies have been moving toward this sort of quad play where you combine wireless TV, Internet and uh, wireline, traditional old school phones. Um, AT&T is sort of the first mover on this I w- strategy, I would say, in the U.S. I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, you know, we saw buying they, Time Warner. Yeah, buying yep. Time Warner, and then they did the Direct TV Direct acquisition TV before that. And I, you know, tend to think that those deals put Comcast on notice to a certain extent. You know, they have because Comcast has the content, but they don't have the wireless. The wireless. Service. And so I think you know that raises the question of will they try to do something with T-Mobile? At some point this year, so the, I think that I, I'm going to give you sort of a pass on that one too, um, because I think the logic is right. Uh, although it may not be Comcast that's the buyer, we'll see. Uh, but one thing we didn't factor in there is that the broadcast spectrum auctions really made any big wireless deal impossible. What has happened this year is uh, government agencies have uh, run an auction where um, where broadcast stations were able to sell their spectrum, uh, often unused, to wireless providers for billions of dollars. And while this auction has taken place, and it's still ongoing, the wireless companies were not allowed to talk to each other or anyone else buying spectrum. And Comcast has indicated that it may be a buyer of spectrum. We don't know yet. We'll have to wait until next year. Uh, because if they were doing M&A negotiations on the side, they could collude in this auction. So they said, while the auction's going on, we're not going to allow anybody to talk about anything uh, from an M&A standpoint. So that has really delayed any of this talk mm-hmm. uh, and probably will de- keep delaying it, at least in the first part of 2017, because we don't expect the auction to end until somewhere maybe even closer to mid-year. 
2017. Once it ends, because none of these companies have been able to talk to each other for a year, I would expect we will have a flurry of activity whenever that is, May, June, whatever it is, of 2017. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to that since you're hinting that it's one of your 2017 predictions. Okay, uh, the next one, pretty close. You predicted Monsanto and Syngenta. Yeah, I'm claiming partial victory here because both companies did do deals, just not with each other. So Syngenta got acquired by ChemChina, and then Monsanto actually became a target and agreed to sell itself to Bayer, which really sort of came out of the woodwork. It was not involved in any of the M&A speculation. A lot of people dismissed the idea that it would do a big deal because it's just a sort of staid German company that has a long history of not issuing equity, not you know paying up for targets. And it really took a risk on this deal. Um, and we'll see what happens. Both are still in front of regulators right now. Um, and it's sort of a long slog to try to get these done. The other one, of course, in this space was Dow and DuPont. And that's getting a lot of pushback from the European Union. Um, ChemChina Syngenta is also facing tough scrutiny from the European Union. So we'll, we will see. Those two deals, it's interesting, the deals that are still kicking around from a regulatory standpoint, particularly the ones that were announced a little while ago. Um, and have been sort of moving their way through regulatory bodies for, let's say, a year or so. Yeah, ChemChina, Syngenta was in February. Because a lot of those people that are looking at the deals are going to turn over now that the Trump administration is coming in. Uh, those pe- Many of those people are attached to the Obama administration. They will have to leave. New people will then come in. Does that mean this takes another year or so? So Syngenta ChemChina has already gotten sign-off from CFIUS, um, which is the U.S. body that you know looks at takeovers from a national security perspective. Which is often the biggest hurdle in those it uh, is. cross-border that, deals. That was one that people really thought was going to be a tough one with this deal, just because you know the U.S. tends to be very protective of its food supply, and China's made significant overtures into agriculture recently. But it, it did get approval there. So for that deal, the bigger hurdle is the European Union. But I do think you know, it sort of changes the calculations for some of these other ones. Monsanto and Bayer hadn't even really started the regulatory process, and they'll be doing that under a new administration. I don't know if that was part of their calculation when they tried to do the deal, if you were anticipating a more, let's say, lenient regulatory environment under President Trump. But, um, you know, I definitely think that's something that these companies have to keep in mind and that changes how you how you look at these deals likely. I would imagine they probably were not predicting President Trump probably at all. Not. <laughs> um, and the last one uh, is Exxon Anadarko. How do you grade yourself on that one, Brooke? <laughs> This one totally missed. But uh, to be fair, I was not the only one who thought that we might see some big energy deals this year. And it's been really interesting because we just haven't seen significant M&A between exploration and production companies. We saw Shell BG... And that was really sort of the only one. There's been smaller deals. You know, Exxon bought InterOil for about $2 billion. There's been a couple of deals in the Permian Basin, which is the one area where these energy companies are still making money and can still find some growth. But we really just haven't seen that flurry of M&A activity. And I, I do think that part of that has to do with the fact that while companies like Exxon are sitting on mountains of cash, their free cash flow has significantly shrunk in the wake of this commodity downturn. And they're soaking all of that up to pay these shareholder dividends and buybacks and do all of that that they've sort of committed to keep and that shareholders take very seriously. You have to wonder, though, if a lot of these companies miss their opportunity. Now that we have a deal with OPEC, I mean, we'll see how that all plays out, but oil prices are picking back up. Did you miss your shot at getting one of these companies for a really, really big bargain? Do you expect that or a deal like that to happen in 2017? 
I am more hesitant on that just because I feel like the moment has sort of passed. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of private equity funds that have money that are trying to pick up distressed energy assets. So I think those types of deals will still happen. And we'll probably still see, you know, activity in the Permian and some of these smaller to mid-size E&P deals. But as far as a, you know, 10, 20 billion major acquisition. I, I don't know if the time is quite right. We'll have to see what happens with OPEC, but I think there are perhaps more hurdles than there. Okay, so let's get to your 2017 predictions. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. We're back with Brooke Sutherland, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. And this is the moment you've all been waiting for, at least for the past 15 <laughs> minutes. Brooke's 2017 predictions. All right, Brooke, give us your... I don't know. You can do this in any order you want. We'll, we'll, yeah. you're, you're, try to make the most dramatic one the last one. Okay. Okay. Uh, no particular order. For the first couple, I'll save the the best for last. But I'm doubling down on a big food deal. I think there are a lot of moving parts that make 2017 a good bet for some kind of large food M&A. There was a report um, a few weeks ago about 3G raising money for another acquisition fund. They are loading up their elephant gun, as Warren Buffett likes to say. Uh, The companies that usually get tossed around as 3G targets are Campbell's Soup, Mondelez, General Mills, and Kellogg. Uh, my colleague Tara LaChapelle has written that General Mills is one of the better targets just because its products tend to mesh well with what 3G already has. You know, they make sort of your traditional meal type things like Progresso soup and salad dressings and that type of thing. $38 billion market cap company, General Mills. Pretty large deal. Uh, the other one is Campbell Soup just because they have vegetable processing and you could sort of find a way to find synergies with what Kraft Heinz does, obviously with ketchup, and then you have vegetables and soup. Um, you know, But I think the biggest criteria that 3G looks for is room for cost cuts. And that, to some extent, takes Mondelez out of the running because they've been doing a lot on their own. They've implemented the zero-based budgeting approach. They've taken out a lot of costs. I mean, they're not fully at the levels that you know 3G has achieved at Kraft and Heinz, but they've made a lot of progress, and you have to wonder what upside is left. And so then that brings me to, if you're not a 3G target, what do you do? And I, so I still think that Mondelez is sort of on the hunt for a deal. What deal that is, I'm not so sure about. You know, I think they could make another run for Hershey. As I mentioned, there's been a lot of upheaval at the trust, and once that sort of shakes out. We could see if they, they find the right time to make another move. But I, I do have to wonder if that's really where you want to put your money if it's not a fast-growing plate. All right. So you've given yourself some wiggle room when we address this in 2017. <laughs> late learned 2017. my lesson from 2016. A big food deal. Okay. All right. What's your next one? Uh, the next one that I'm going to throw out there is a Honeywell-Teledyne combination. Um, so Teledyne is a little over $4 billion company that makes flight data analytics technology and other connectivity offerings. So this is a really big focus area for industrials, where they're looking to draw as much data as they possibly can off of parts that are manufactured and the actual equipment that makes them. And they're looking to use that data to do things like predictive maintenance. You know when something is going to break down before it actually does, or you can do sort of off-site 
monitoring of equipment and fix things remotely, that sort of thing. Um, GE has been pushing really hard into this. Honeywell has as well, but this could be a way for it to compete more strongly with GE, which does a lot specifically on the aviation front in terms of telematics. Um, this would be a very expensive deal, uh, especially because Teledyne's stock prices shot up following the election on sort of the, the Trump bump for defense stocks, if you will. Um, just sort of under the expectation that we're going to see a much healthier defense budget over the next few years. But I, I do think that this is going to be an area of focus for industrials, and this is a target that could make a lot of sense. Honeywell's also been mentioned potentially as a counter-bidder counter for Rockwell Collins, which made a big bet on airplane connectivity with the BE Aerospace deal earlier this year. And Starboard is pushing the company to look at making itself a target instead. So that's sort of the wild card here, but Teledyne is a much smaller target. What about Rockwell a four, $4.5 billion company exactly, versus, versus like 12, 12. 13. Yeah. yeah. So it's an easier bite. Um, Honeywell is a new CEO coming in. That might be sort of an easier deal to pitch to investors in terms of a you know $15 billion takeover. So. Okay, so that's good. That's a specific one. Um, so give us your third one. I'm going to go with United Technologies, go big or break up. So this is sort of multifaceted, but I think, you know, the, the company's stock has been sort of in a rut for several years now. And it did, you know, go through, it separated out its Sikorsky helicopter unit and sold that to Lockheed Martin. But then it just sort of, its stock didn't really go anywhere after that. I mean, there was sort of a, okay, this is great. And now what are you doing for me next? Um, you know, like a lot of industrial companies, it's been struggling to find organic growth. Its aerospace division has been a good driver, but, you know, that growth just isn't materializing at other parts of the company. So I think you have to start looking at whether all of these businesses really belong together. You know, it makes aerospace jet engines and airplane parts, but it also makes sort of the massive air conditioner units that power buildings and that sort of thing. And I, I think there's a legitimate question as to whether those all belong under the same roof. Or you could look at making another large acquisition to sort of pump up that growth that's really lagging. That stock, too, has increased since Trump's election and sort of the uh, aerospace era. So maybe the it's up about 15% this year. Maybe the pressure is off of it to it's some degree. It's still trading below the offer that Honeywell made for the company, though, uh, you know, earlier this year. And I think that sort of keeps the pressure on That's until the... you can push yourself over that hurdle right. and show that you can achieve that kind of value on your own. Um, Honeywell stock, it was the stock and cash bid. So Honeywell stock is up too. And that sort of kept a ceiling. Yep. Uh, That's very much what happened with Time Warner when Fox uh, approached Time Warner in uh, 2014, summer of 2014, threw out an $85 per share number. And Time Warner was never able to trade over $85 a share. And obviously, it sold for 17 dollars So um, uh, from that perspective, it certainly made a good deal by selling uh, and, and rejecting the Fox deal. Okay, uh, what's number four? I'm going to go with Pfizer for number four. You know, we talked about Pfizer a lot in 2016. They tried to buy Allergan, didn't quite work out as they were hoping it might, um, because the you know U.S. Treasury got involved and clamp down on the tax inversion deals that uh, the Allergan deal would have been. I, you know, Pfizer earlier this year acquired Medivation for $14 billion, And the crazy thing to me was you read all the analyst reports afterwards and people were calling it bite-sized and bolt-on and not really a needle mover. And only $200 for, billion dollar yeah, company, Pfizer. Only for a company like Pfizer would that be considered pretty small. But they do still have a lot of M&A firepower. And you know, I think when you take a lot of these things off the table, they're they're no longer looking at splitting themselves up. 
they're no longer really looking to do a tax inversion deal. And when you're not looking for those things, you don't really need a mega sized deal like a GlaxoSmithKline that would have offered you ways to sort of bulk up your your separate business units and execute that spinoff or get that lower tax rate. So then I think you're talking about targets for Pfizer that are more growth drivers. So whether that's in cancer treatments or rare disease treatments, um, you know, companies that have been talked about are Insight, uh, which is about $19 billion, Vertex, which makes rare disease treatments, also about $19, or Biomarin is the other one that gets talked about a lot. All right, so it's time, Brooke. What is your what is the grand finale here? Your fifth and final prediction for 2017. Fifth and final is somebody buys T-Mobile. Um, as you said before, I don't, you know, it's not necessarily going to be Comcast, but I think somebody, this is the year. I'm, I'm calling it somebody buys T-Mobile. Um, you know, I think that Dish is somebody to consider in a deal like this, but, you know, there's also been speculation that under a Trump administration, the regulatory environment would be lax enough that we could see a Sprint-T-Mobile combination, um, which was, you know, sort of the original iteration of this deal that was talked about. So it's definitely going to be something that's going to draw a lot of competition. But there's a lot of reasons that people have to buy T-Mobile, and I think that's that's going to be the target to watch this so, year. So I think many investors agree with you. Um, and oddly, it may make a deal more difficult, or maybe not oddly, because sometimes this happens. The same thing happened with Twitter, for instance, sure. where the stock price for T-Mobile is up 45% this year. Uh, because I think a lot of, I mean, the business has done well, certainly, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are expecting this to be an M&A target. And so they're starting to bake in a premium there uh, in 2017. The interesting thing about that, though, is the dynamics have shifted. So just a little background here. Remember, in 2011, AT&T agreed to buy T-Mobile, and regulators blocked that deal. In 2014, Sprint was attempting to buy T-Mobile, and it never even got to the formal announcement stage because regulators informed Masayoshi Son, the founder and CEO of SoftBank, who owns 80% of Sprint, that they were not going to okay a deal uh, sort of on the side. So Sprint never actually went forward with that deal. The The changing dynamics there is at the time, T-Mobile was very much the fourth largest player in the mm-hmm. game. Now, T-Mobile is a much larger company than Sprint. It's a $47 billion company. Sprint is a $32 billion company. Uh, it, it has surpassed Sprint in customers. Dish, which was a bigger company, now is actually the smallest of the three of them at at twenty seven billion. So, how that all shakes out, who the buyer is, how that deal is structured, uh, I think that may be the biggest new complicating factor. Whereas before, the biggest hurdle was simply regulatory; mm-hmm. no regulator was going to allow this. In a Trump administration, uh, there is definitely thought that that a Trump administration, FCC, may be more open to the wireless industry going from four players to three and allowing Sprint and T-Mobile to come together. It may simply be how that deal is structured, who was the buyer, uh, and and, and not only who was the buyer, but if T-Mobile is the buyer, then what is Masayoshi's son's role with the company? Is he even willing to sell Sprint? I spoke to one uh, banker recently who said, in his opinion... Both T-Mobile and Sprint are buyers right now. So how does that deal come together? It's not so straightforward anymore that that the Germans, Deutsche Telekom, who own two-thirds of T-Mobile, will simply want to get out of the United States because that business has actually done so well for them. 
So those, I think, are the biggest questions around uh, whether or not a T-Mobile deal happens. And, of course, we I didn't even talk about Comcast in that, in that spiel because Comcast is not in the wireless industry right now. It does have an agreement with Verizon currently to use Verizon service and rebrand it Comcast, getting to your earlier point about Comcast becoming a quad play provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can do that right now with Verizon, and they're just starting to roll it out to see if there's some success. Obviously, acquiring T-Mobile would be a much bigger step toward getting into wireless than simply sharing a plan with Verizon. So there it is. There you have it. Brooke Sutherland's five big, bold predictions for 2017. Uh, we'll have you back here. Well, we'll have you back here sooner, but we'll certainly have you <laughs> back here in a year's time where you can uh, either celebrate or uh, be ashamed of those choices. <laughs> so I look forward to that. Uh, so that's it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. As always, remember, you can get all of our episodes on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal or SoundCloud or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And please rate and review the show if you have a minute. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Brooke, where can people find you on Twitter? At B-L-S-U-T-H. Happy New Year. See you back here in 2017. Thanks, Alex. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.